Welcome to In Your Right Mind, a weekly discussion of behavioral health issues that affect our lives. We all have issues, so let's start talking. My name is Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. And I'm Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. You know, technology is now such an integral part of our lives that most of us couldn't imagine life without it, especially... I'll admit it to our smartphones. We've become incorrigible social media stalkers, tweeters, compulsive video gamers, obsessive step counters, Netflix binge watchers, and we're hooked on games like Candy Crush. The list goes on. Mine is bejeweled. Sure, the amount of time we spend playing games, surfing the internet, browsing social media can be excessive, but are these really like digital heroin? Can we actually get addicted to our phones? Well, there's no doubt that recent technological advances have had a positive impact on our lives. However, how does constantly checking our phones, obsessing over how many likes we get, or portraying our lives as perfect on social media affect our mental health and well-being? This evening, we are discussing the consequences of living in such a culture where we never switch off. To discuss this topic, we have Dr. David Greenfield, who's the founder of the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction, an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine and author of the book, Virtual Addiction, a book that rang an early warning bell about the country's growing over-reliance on the internet. Welcome, Dr. Greenfield. Welcome to to the show. Is internet addiction a real thing? I don't know. I have to just check my smartphone. A text just came in. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, you know, people seem to be skeptical that it exists, doesn't exist, and somehow didn't get into the DSM. So I would value your, your thoughts on it. Sure. Well, actually, um, you know, there is a long history to this. You know, I I wrote my first book on this subject in 1999, so almost 20 years ago, and did my first medical paper probably in in 96 or 97. So, um, you know, we've known about addiction to the Internet in one form or another for a good period of time. But the Internet obviously has changed drastically uh, because when we first started researching it and we are my original study came in with about 5.9 percent prevalence rate for addiction. And we can talk more about that. But we now have things like Wi-Fi and we now have smartphones that are portableized and untethered and easily accessible. And some of those factors go into the variants that predict addiction. Also, although the DSM-5 still has internet addiction as a provisional diagnosis, the World Health Organization just passed it as an official diagnosis. So um, I think that Although we don't have a complete consensus in addiction medicine as to what this is, I think the jury is pretty much out or rather in at this point that we know that the Internet is an addictive medium and then the content is addictive and then we have a synergistic amplification between that content and the access. So the Internet really becomes and the smartphone included, becomes a digital hypodermic that brings that information that elevates dopamine in the mesolimbic pathways of the brain. And we can talk Yes, and we, uh, we would very much like to do that. You know, the average person spends about five hours, um, and then teens spend about nine hours or a third of their day on their cellular devices. And, and social media is turning out to be more 
more addictive. I know that there is a difference between just smartphones and, and social media. But there is certainly an interaction since we ch- check most of our social media on smartphones. Correct. My point was with stories uh, or reports that uh, social media companies are hiring experts who can make things more addictive and they've hired a whole bunch of people allegedly from Vegas from the casino world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they hire behavioral scientists. Right. So the reason why they're doing that and why video game designers do the same thing uh-huh. and why Google and all these companies do it is because the Internet is the world's largest slot machine right. and the smartphone is the world's smallest slot machine. So what that means is, is that every time you go online – including on your smartphone, you are looking at something. You don't know what you're going to find. You don't know when you're going to find it, and you don't know how good or how salient or pleasurable that behavior or that information, whether it's a social media update or a text or Snapchat response, or it doesn't matter, or a Google search or an email. You don't know how good it's going to be for you. The unpredictability and variability of that reinforcement creates what's called an extinction resistance, which is another way of saying addiction. So fast forward to the smartphone, which is just a portableized Internet platform. Basically, all it is is a way to get on the Internet, but now it's in your pocket or your purse, and it's easily accessible. But it has another ingredient that makes it particularly addictive, and that is the notification factor. Because the notifications let your brain know that there's a possible reward waiting. And if you remember your early behavioral science, you remember Pavlov's dogs, where they pair a signal mm-hmm. with, a, with a reward, and that neutral signal becomes salient and uh, reinforcing. And that's exactly what the smartphone has done. It has conditioned us to let us know that a possible reward's waiting. And what we know about dopamine in the limbic system is that if you have an anticipation of a reward, it elevates dopamine at twice the level that the actual reward happens. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. We, so I, the, 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 pings, the pings on your phone are extremely psychoactive. Uh-huh. So, this is ringing so true for me. And uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma, and we're discussing the addictive nature of smartphones with our guest, Dr. David Greenfield. It's so interesting to me because... It, I completely, it resonates with me, the whole idea of like, I, I need to check my phone because you never know when that next email is going to change your life. Am I right. going to be a big star? It's just an email yeah. away. <laughs> you already are a big star. <laughs> but my daughter, but I have been so curious as to why but I have a 13-year-old daughter who is on her phone all day long checking Instagram. And it's, I think for her, it is that what's the next funny video I'm going to see. Is that right. going to... Be- and and there's, there's, there's something else that happens. Not only are you conditioned to respond to that dopaminergic hit with the anticipation and then the follow-up, but um, because it's intermittent and variable, it compels you to keep checking it. And you desensitize to the dopamine levels. You downregulate those receptors. So you have to keep elevating those that uh, innervation and those uh, uh, neural pathways in your brain. So you've got to keep getting the hit. It's not just that you get it once. 
you have to keep getting it. So do it, it, tolerance develops? Is that what you're describing? That's correct. Exactly. You develop tolerance and right. withdrawal, by the way. And if you doubt whether you develop withdrawal, now I am no way, my background's in addiction medicine, I'm in no way uh, making it equivalent that heroin uh, tolerance and heroin withdrawal are equivalent to smartphone or technology withdrawal. However, if you doubt whether there's withdrawal, just leave your smartphone home for a day and see how you feel. Oh, I can't. How dare you? Yeah. I have freaked That's out just when I when I accidentally drove to the coffee bean and tea leaf without my phone. It was the worst two minutes of my entire life. Oh, boy. Right. Uh, Dr. Greenfield, I want to go back to the point sure. where you said the anticipation of a reward releases twice as much dopamine. That, that's an Correct. interesting interesting fact. So can you expand on yeah, that? Yeah, that's bit? been experimentally proven uh -huh. with animal studies. And, and certainly um, all of the animal studies are directly analogous to human. I mean, most addiction research is initially done with animal studies. The other interesting thing about uh, addiction research is that the more isolated you are in your use of an addictive substance or behavior, the more addictive that substance or behavior becomes. So there's a famous study that they did called Rat Park a number of years ago, mm -hmm. which was done with actually with opiates. And they put opiate-laced water in the cage with one rat, and the rat would drink the opiate-laced water till it died. Uh, it didn't stop. It drank it compulsively until it died of respiratory failure. Then they put a bunch of other rats in the same cage and put a bunch of toys and the other things in there, and the rats were in a, an enriched social environment, and they almost discontinued their use of the opiate water, and none of them died. So what we're doing essentially is we're activating reward pathways more aggressively because the smartphone and all of these devices really alienate and isolate us. Even though we're theoretically connecting to other people, it is not a direct analogous uh, analogy to normal social interaction. It has very little nutritive social value. And social media, I just wrote an article about social media being essentially antisocial. It does not really provide the richness of social interaction that we need as human beings. That's so interesting. But but what about people that say are in a Facebook group? What about, you know, uh, like new moms that find a group to relate Absolutely. to socially? No, there's nothing wrong with that. that they're That's alone at their thing. home with their baby. Absolutely. And wonderful stuff. Nothing wrong with any. There's wonderful things about Facebook and about social media and about the smartphone and all this technology. It's not... We're not saying that it's, it's all bad. What we're saying is it's very powerful and therefore potentially addictive. And certainly our original study back in 99 found that 70, 80, 90% of us lose track of time and space when we're on a screen. So what that means is you have a psychoactive medium that produces dissociation. So all we're saying is it's powerful and potent and that you're not gonna necessarily be aware of how much time you're spending on it so therefore, you have to develop conscious computing habits or mindful technology use. Otherwise, it's going to eat up a lot of your life. Right, which, which it does. Hey, we need to go to our first break. But when we come back, let's discuss lots more about this with Dr. David Greenfield. You're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one struggling with an addiction as well as a mental health condition? 
At Sovereign Health, our clinicians target and treat substance use disorders and a variety of mental illnesses concurrently. We provide evidence-based dual diagnosis treatment services for adults and adolescents based on a clinician's customized rehabilitation plan. Call Sovereign Health's dual diagnosis program at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Are you concerned that your teen is showing signs of overeating or undereating? At Sovereign Health's Rancho San Diego Adolescent Facility, our clinicians provide thorough assessments and holistic evidence-based treatments for teenage girls who have eating disorders and co-occurring depression, substance abuse, and other mental health issues. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801 or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Nearly half of all Americans experience one mental illness at some point in their lives. Sovereign Health offers treatment programs for a large spectrum of issues including depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and eating disorders. Call Sovereign Health's dual diagnosis program at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. We are back with In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. I'm Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. We're discussing some of the negative consequences of typical everyday smartphone use with our guest, Dr. David Greenfield, who's the founder of the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction and an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine. Dr. Greenfield, just before the break, we were talking about the impact of social media and social networking in our lives. Obviously, in some circumstances, as Stephanie mentioned, it might be appropriate. However, we seem to somehow equate self-esteem with uh, or how good we are or how beautiful we are with other people's views. Somehow, we're not able to... I'm wondering whether social media, from more in psychodynamic terms, perhaps even though we're talking about dopamine, that the ego and the self, uh, we are not able to... We have a theory, a theory that I've developed about this, because you have to understand that the Internet is really, and the smartphone especially, is uh, put broadcast capacity in the hands of every human being on the planet. Right. And when we post things, we've developed a a, a, a concept in our culture now that if you don't post something, record it, and have it evaluated, it has little or no value. So we call that reflected self-esteem. So those likes and those those notifications that we get back that what we put up actually validate the experience, but independent of whether we valued the experience. So we become observers of our own life instead of experiencers of our own life. Right. There's also this group of people or whatever, they must have a lot of time in their hands that they troll others to say how good or bad somebody is. And so there is this pressure to be almost perfect in our in our social media. Yeah, and and actually among the youth culture, you know, middle school, high school, young college girls, um, there is a whole industry that is sprouted up around making and touching up their selfies to make them look as attractive and as appealing as possible to increase the number of likes that they get on their profiles and on their photos. And it's really become almost an industry 
of, of ways and applications that are designed to do that. That's so sad, you know, that, that our kids are growing up in this culture. You know, when I was growing up, it was more about like magazines and comparing yourself to how people looked in a magazine. And now the kids are all comparing themselves to how they look to YouTube stars and and with it, instant with yeah. instant feedback. Yes. But even in magazines, I guess there is the airbrushing that 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 happens. Again, I want to come back to self-esteem because people are, you know, there have been reports of people taking their own lives because of yeah. like this. Yeah. And so it is a, a fairly serious issue that uh, somehow, you know, one's self-esteem is related to, you know, these external factors. And I know that in the past, in my generation, certainly, there have been instances when self-esteem is related to how big your house is, your car, whatever else, rather than... Yes internally uh, as to how good you are, uh, both in your work and as a person. Whereas here now we have something that's external and sometimes it's outside of our control that has a huge effect on our self-esteem. Well, that, that is the power of these broadcasts that we put out and of, these, and of social media. You have to remember, social media isn't really social. It, I call it social light. It's, it's because... People don't post real things on it. They post good news and accomplishments or things that they want to have ranked or rated or shared. I mean, you don't hear people bearing their soul on social media for the most part. It's all sort of skewed in a positive direction with the purpose of conveying a certain image. So it's really sort of half full in terms of what it's reflecting uh, with regard to our social needs and our interpersonal needs. And it's, I think it's conveying, it, it's conveying the perfect me. That's, That's correct. That's yeah. exactly what it's, you're right. You know, another, another thing that happens, especially with, uh, with younger people, but probably with older people too, is uh, my kids, my daughter's age, they nowadays you see everything that everybody else is doing. So if people are going having an outing, it's immediately apparent that you weren't invited. You know, whereas the old days, yes. people could make plans with other people, and you didn't have a whole slew of other people that felt left out. So now that's everybody's correct. got that fear of missing out. Yeah. So fear of missing out—that's you know also called FOMO—is a very common thing because now you instantly know who's included and who isn't included and you can be unfriended or un or blocked or prevented so it, it, it's very obvious and the damage can be significant and you're right there have been cases where people have been shamed or bullied or harassed and there have been results that were tragic i don't think that's the typical response but um it, it has happened and it's a very powerful form of media because it's so public and i'm just wondering you know i don't know three four years ago even they the the concept of an adult taking a selfie would have been fairly <laughs> novel <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and and then today you see people with these long sticks doing all kinds of funny things. Yeah, out in the open. Good. And so the the question then arises: uh, How do we this level of self disclosure? You know that I am yeah. running to the loo. Do I need to really know this? Well, it's um, so that's part of the. You know, it's, I have a funny story about that. When I first started texting, which was a long time ago. Uh, my sons had already had, 
you know, cell phones. These weren't smartphones. And I remember my younger son, who might have been 13 or 14 at the time, said to me, Dad, why are you texting? That's our form of, you know, that's that's our technology. <laughs> right. You right. know, he, he was sort of pointing out to me that this was sort of – so every generation sort of has – their their means and mode of differentiating themselves from previous generations. Right. So I don't want to overemphasize. You know, when we when rock music came out. Hold on, can I just? I need to interrupt you just for one second to let our audience know, in case they're just moving that dial around, that you're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma, and we're discussing how social media affects our mental health and well-being with uh, Dr. David Greenfield, the author of Virtual Addiction. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I, Sorry about now that. Now I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> well, we were Our generation. About, about generations and yeah. So every generation has had a differentiation language. When rock music came out, the previous generation said it was going to end cult, you know, end society as we knew it, and it was going to destroy civilization. So I, I suspect some of our reactions are, are probably hi, hyperbolic, but I do think that there is uh, an overuse of the technology uh, which, by the way, even Generation D or digital natives, people that are 30 and under who've grown up with this technology, are feeling. They do feel that there is an overuse and an over-reliance on the technology, and they feel burdened by it at times. I remember when I first found out about texting, and I, I thought it was ridiculous because I was like, well, why? I don't understand why you would send a text when you could just call the person. It made no sense to me, and now I find that actually calling somebody is so intrusive. I feel like, right, why would that, somebody not just send me a text? Why would you actually call me? How rude. <laughs> well, that requires a different set of social skills. So one of the things that we see, because we treat a lot of people with these issues, and they tend to be younger, uh, 25 and under, and their verbal uh, communication skills are pretty atrophied. There's also a lot of data on reduced social empathy due to social media. Um, so, you know, uh, reduced attention and concentration times, actually reduced scores on uh, standardized tests. All of this technology does have some negative impacts. It has many positives, but it's not a benign technology. It's not, it's not malevolent, but it's, it's not benign. And you're quite right, as we started this conversation, the companies that produce the social media and produce the the content and as well as the interfaces for accessing that content are very aware of the behavioral science principles that increase the likelihood of your continuing to check repetitively and unconsciously. So this slot machine, the slot machine effect, is that because of the variable ratio reinforcement schedule? Correct. Can you, exactly can, can, you tell us, can you tell our listeners who are often lay people a little bit more about that? Sure. So a slot machine, for those of you that you know, don't know what it is, you know, it's a gambling machine. And uh, basically the way it works is you put money in in some form or fashion and you push a button and then randomly you will win money. But you will win money without any prediction of how much or when. And ultimately, it operates on this variable ratio, meaning that there is no way to know if you're going to win. But the brain is very susceptible to the word maybe. So if the brain anticipates the possibility of winning, and in the case of the smartphone, winning could be just seeing something you like, um, it will continue to push the button 
or look over and over again, and the average person checks their phone three to uh, 50 to 300 times a day. And if you, the average person spends, if we don't change our screen habits now, you'll spend about five to six years of your life staring at a screen if wow. you add it up. And did you know that you can actually play a slot machine game on your phone? Yes. How you meta. That, which is so meta. Yeah, that's not good. So we we need to, to take a we question. need to go to a quick break and we're gonna come back and then you can answer our question. You're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma and our guest, Dr. David Greenfield. We'll be right back. Are you tired of struggling with addiction? Sovereign Health's Prime program aims to help men over 40 transition from chemical dependency to a state of lasting recovery in an environment suited to their age and specific needs. Let us help you get your life back on track. It's never too late. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Are you or a loved one experiencing bouts of emotional overeating or undereating? These can be symptoms of an eating disorder. At Sovereign Health, we believe that these brain diseases that strain people's lives should not define them. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Find a better way to live a better life at Sovereign Health. Nearly half of all Americans experience at least one mental illness at some point in their lives. Sovereign Health offers a residential treatment program for a large spectrum of issues including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, and eating disorders. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. And we're back with In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. I'm Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. We're discussing how our use of social media is affecting our mental health and how addictive it is with Dr. David Greenfield, the founder of the Center for Internet Technology Addiction and an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Connecticut, also the author of Virtual Addiction, having a great conversation. Dr. Greenfield, in video gaming, there are incentives or motivations um, how does that work in uh, social media? Well, they're, they're very cleverly designed, and they also use the behavioral reinforcement principles of variable ratio and variable interval reinforcement, meaning that your rewards have some degree of unpredictability. You have to engage in a behavior repetitively, and then if you do it just the right way for just the right amount of time, you very well might get a point or a re reward or a level raise, but you can't predict it. The idea is that if you can predict something, you will become bored with it very quickly. And if you think about the Internet itself, the Internet modality is, is itself a slot machine because every time you go on it, it's different. And you cannot predict what you're going to find every time you open that screen. No matter what application or program or website you're accessing, there's a degree of unpredictability and a variation of how salient or positive what you're going to find is. Can you explain to me why games like Candy Crush and there's one that I play, I'm guilty of, called Threes. I, I get so addicted <laughs> to them, I will literally delete them from my phone so that I can't play them and then invariably 
Because they're download, re-download. The what is it? Why is why they're designed, is they're de well? They're designed on the same principles we're talking about. You're getting unpredictable success, or which is another way of saying reinforcement. And I believe if if you're not a paying customer for Candy Crush or some of these freemium games, you know you have a limited amount of time, which makes it that much more valuable unless you're going to pay money to play longer. So it increases the uh, attractiveness of the game because of that limited time. Do you think that people who already have addiction or are in recovery from addiction are more susceptible to being addicted to their phones or the internet or these There's, kind of games? We don't have a lot of firm data yet on comorbidity or transference between addictions. There seems to be a little bit of predisposition that if you have some potential for addiction uh, in other areas, you're more likely. But in general, everybody is actually susceptible to addiction. Addiction is a neurobiological disorder and probably 10% of the population has some predisposition to addiction of some kind. And you have to remember all addictions involve the same reward circuits in the brain in that mesolimbic system, particularly the nucleus accumbens, which is where the major dopaminergic uh, nuclei are, are found. And what happens when you develop an addiction is you, you sprout more postsynaptic receptors for dopamine, and your brain gets used to having more dopamine. So then what happens is you crave dopamine, you've got to keep feeding those receptors. And if you don't, you develop some tolerance, I mean some withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also develop something called reward deficiency, meaning that you're, you get so used to the stimulation of having that extra dopamine in your system endogenously that uh, you, the rest of life looks a little bit more dull and less pleasurable. Right. Uh, since we are talking about clinical stuff, at what point does something become pathological for the young person that you see in, in your yeah. center? So that's a hard, you know, addiction obviously is, it's not even really a medical term, but it, but it's, it's certainly the term that everybody can relate to in yes the media and in popular culture, you really have to have, have to have several ingredients. It has to alter mood and consciousness. It has to, uh, you have to have the presence of tolerance and withdrawal. You have to have the presence of uh, obsession or compulsion in terms of your behavior. But most importantly, you have to have the presence of some deleterious impact in your life. In other words, it has to really affect your relationships, your work, your academic performance, your finances, your legal status, your health. If there's nothing really being seriously impacted, you probably have an overuse problem, which, by the way, is probably where most of us in the United States fit right now with our tech use. We're probably overusing it or abusing it at times, but that we're still functioning reasonably well and we're probably guilty of the same thing we are with food, which is 70% of us eat too much. Right. So uh, probably 70 to 90% of us are using our technology too much. If you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to In Your Right Mind, brought to you by Sovereign Health with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. We're talking about our addiction to technology with Dr. David Greenfield, the author of Virtual Addiction. So if some of us are overuse are have the overuse problem, is there anything we can we can do about it short of like especially sure. for those of us with teens 
Do we just take away their device? Do we limit how long they can be on them? What should we do? So, Dr. Greenfield, well, before we go on to the treatment issue, can, can we yeah. just talk a little bit about any gender differences? Yeah, there, there really aren't a lot of... There are some gender differences with regard to video gaming. Uh, video gaming is, is, is by far adopted more by males than females, probably seven to eight to one, maybe even higher. Uh -huh. um, uh, interestingly, because, you know, with Internet addiction or technology addiction, we have two components. We have the medium, mm -hmm. which is the delivery device or the hypodermic, essentially. And then we have the content. And there's an interaction between the content. And the content itself can have a stimulatory factor. So video games are very, very stimulating and very addicted in and of themselves, separate from the, from the delivery method that they use. Um, Pornography is also the same. Interestingly enough about pornography, which is a huge area of, you know, one-third of all searches on all search engines on the Internet is for pornography. Wow. So one-third of the time that you go online, you're typing in something for something pornographic. Well, I'm not. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's jury still out on that. Well, you're, you're, you're one of the people that uh, are. Well, maybe only one-eighth one of the time. One-eighth of the time. Yeah. But she's not as boring as I thought. But what about that, social media? I mean, I know gaming is mainly a boy thing, but what, is social media more uh, biased? Social media social? is actually pretty... pretty um, equivalent between okay. males and females, uh -huh. but they use it slightly differently. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, boys will use it a bit more functionally. Right. Girls will use it a little bit more relationally, right. but it seems to be used pretty equally. There is a slight, I think, uh, increased prevalence of use among females and males, mm -hmm. um, but it is used... It is used as a dominant form, uh, and it depends what you mean by social media. So, I mean, Facebook is sort of out, Snapchat and Instagram are in right now. Right. So, you know, it depends on, they're used as means of communication mostly and means of showing themselves to the world. Right. So, and, and again, I just want to characterize the psychopathology before we go on to sort of what do we do in terms of treatment. Which sure. It does... How does it affect mental health? What do you see in, at your center? Well, you know, and again, I'm seeing, you know, people who come in for medical or addiction treatment, I'm seeing the worst cases, obviously. So I'm not seeing the average person. Right. I'm seeing people who have had atypical responses that have created a real problem in their lives. And the most common problem I see hands down is academic uh, in, in, inability to perform academically. Okay. And I mean to a point where they're flunking out of high school or college right. either once or multiple times. Right. And that's due to the excessive amount of time they're spending on gaming or social media or pornography or some combination thereof. Right. Hands down, that's the number one issue that we're seeing. So, so that's kind of a career thing is anything that you not necessarily at your center but is there any research on the correlation between mental health problems and sure uh, yeah there's uh, some evidence that there's correlations and we, we you know correlations don't imply causation so we don't really know which came first mm -hmm. and there is some pre-selective criteria with these with internet addiction mm -hmm. and device addiction because 
there is some social anxiety that seems to be comorbidly related, sure. but also it can be both causative and an effect of excessive use. Uh, generalized anxiety, um, depression, another one. The uh, correlation among very heavy Internet users to a point that need treatment uh, and ADD and ADHD is 90 to 95%. Wow. And there are physical problems as well of, of staring down Many. at the screen. I have a list of them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's probably 15 or 20 physiological sequelae that can come from excessive technology use, from everything from elevated blood pressure to increased sedentary behavior, weight gain, uh, disruption of circadian rhythms, elevated cortisol levels, um, it goes on and on. But sleep disturbance is probably the number one, I would say. Right. Uh, also, if you plot average weight of uh, individuals from 15 to 30 and the advent of technology and the spread of technology, it's a perfect correlation. Wow. We're more sedentary. Wow. You know, we need to take one last break, but when we come back... We'll finish our discussion on addiction to technology. You're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma and our guest, Dr. David Greenfield, author of Virtual Addiction. We will be right back. Are you tired of struggling with addiction? Sovereign Health's Power Program utilizes evidence-based interventions tailored to women over 40 to help them develop tools necessary for lasting recovery. Power specializes in treating substance abuse disorders and other underlying mental health issues, including trauma, anxiety, and depression. Recover with power. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. At Sovereign Health, we understand that the Christian faith is an integral part of recovery. If you're suffering from an addiction or mental illness, let us help you heal with others who share your beliefs and values. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Start your new life today. Sovereign Health's adolescent program offers treatment for males and females ages 12 to 17 struggling with addiction, mental health, and co-occurring conditions. Let us help you and your family heal in a safe, nurturing environment with an individualized treatment plan that has your loved one's treatment needs in mind. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. One eight zero one, or visit us online at sovhealth.com. We are back with In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. I'm Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. We've been discussing the downside of excessive use of and over-reliance on our smartphone and other technology with Dr. David Greenfield, the author of Virtual Addiction. And now comes the point of the conversation where we try to figure out what to do about this. What are some treatment options? Obviously, if you're having a serious problem, meaning that the quality of your life is being impacted, whether that be relationships or academic or work performance or health or finances or legal, that's when you need some professional help, preferably with somebody that's an expert in addiction medicine with a subspecialty in internet and technology addiction. It's not a general mental health professional may not be the best person to see with regard to this issue because 
they may not have the depth and breadth of training and experience to address it, although more people are, are being trained in it. I, I teach a course in the psychiatry residency program on this, but um, there's not a lot of opportunities for training yet. It's still new. But that would be the first thing. Barring, you know, having a problem that's really interfering with your life, I think most of us can benefit from what we call mindful technology use or what I like to call is the development of sustainable technology use. You know, we can't not use this technology. We need it. It's part of our lives, so it's not possible to avoid it. So one of the things, there's about 10 or 12 tips that we recommend. One is no screens, phones, tablets, laptops, etc. in bedrooms. Keep your bedroom focused on sleep and other activities, but really keep it a screen-free room. You'd be shocked how many people sleep. We did a study where we found 70% of people sleep with their phones under their pillow or next to their bed. Me. Uh, <laughs> right next okay, to my bed. Two. I have an, I have exactly. an overuse problem. It's, I'm admitting it, it to you right now. It is quite difficult if you use your phone as an alarm. Okay, I do. Well, that's number two. You're already on top of it. Number two is spend $10 and buy an alarm clock. You don't need to spend 600 for an alarm clock. So I have a good alarm, alarm clock. clock. It's just so much easier to use my phone. I ha There's like instructions well, involved in an alarm I, clock. I, I, again, I'm telling you what's healthy. Do not look at a screen an hour before bed. It interferes with your circadian rhythms and will it will slow your sleep cycle and it distort your REM patterns as well. So it's not a good idea to look at screens an hour before bed. Number three, turn off notifications or as many as possible. The more notifications you have on your phone or on your devices, the more likely you're going to activate that anticipatory dopamine system and you're going to it's going to make you and compel you to want to check over and over again the other thing is try to keep the phone if you want to have a period of relaxation or downtime and activate uh, uh, the relaxation response in your body do not have the phone out where you can see it there's been numerous studies that if you have your phone even if it's off but if it's in your sight you will elevate cortisol levels in the brain. And the way you treat elevated cortisol is you want to lower the cortisol. And the way we lower cortisol is we check our phones. Uh, another suggestion that we had from, actually this was from a musician, uh, Gavin Russom from LCD Sound System, uh, you gray out your phone. You gray the phone out so it's in grayscale instead of color, which makes it a whole lot less interesting. Uh, put software or apps that monitor your use, not even block it or limit it. Uh, most of us, experience dissociation or time distortion. Figure out how long you're on it, and sometimes that biofeedback to let you know, not like a scale, it lets you know how much time and space you're spending on your device, and you'll be shocked. Almost everybody is shocked about how much time they spend on it. And without an app to tell you, you have absolutely no idea how much time you're spending on it. Some of these games have a thing on there where it tells you how long you've been playing, and my husband will grab my phone and try to shame me by showing me how many hours <laughs> I spent on Bejeweled. It's that's yeah, a good that's work. a good tool. Yeah, well, it shame. works but for shame, a few days. If shame really worked, nobody would have addictions because all addicts feel shame and it it generally doesn't and it doesn't really stop us from doing what we do. The other thing is to develop a real-time living list. We, this is something we, we do with all our patients, and we recommend to people in general. Write a list of 100 things you can do without a screen. The reason why we suggest that is because most of us develop that reward deficiency. We don't know what it's like to do things that are fun and pleasurable without the screen because the screen is the easiest thing we reach for to distract ourselves or to pleasure ourselves. And when we have a moment of boredom 
or a moment of downtime, instantly we reach for our screen to distract us. But that moment of boredom is a springboard for social interaction and creativity. And that intolerance we have for boredom is, some, is a problem. You have to be willing to reach beyond that moment of boredom without distracting yourself with the phone. That's true. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. We're discussing ways to help us stop using our smartphones and the internet addictively with Dr. David Greenfield, the founder of the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction. Dr. Greenfield, what about the traditional psychological treatments like motivational interviewing, community reinforcement, CBT? Yes. So um, I just read a paper for Child Psychiatry Clinics of North America, uh, which actually just came out. I think it's coming out in their April issue. And the whole article is on uh, treatment of this issue, uh, you know, from a, a medical and psychiatric perspective. The research is pretty clear that cognitive behavioral strategies are very effective. Medications, a little bit less so. Motivational interviewing, motivational enhancement, harm reduction, readiness for change evaluation are all absolutely very important parts of treatment, whether it's self-treatment or self-management or management by a professional. These are all very, very good techniques. And they're very effective. Psychoeducation, and what I add to that is neurobiological education is critical. Most people don't understand the reward pathways in their brain, and they don't get that they have actually, that their frontal lobes have been hijacked by this, these devices, and that once they activate those mesolimbic pathways, they've shut down the executive functions of their brain. And people need to know that. They need to understand how it's working neurologically so that they can make appropriate changes. So the executive functions are reasoning, problem solving, planning shuts off. And right. the reason why that is, is there's an evolutionary biology to addiction. Right. If you think about the two areas that are most lit up by the nu- in the nucleus accumbens, it has to do with sex and food, which are both biologically necessary and they're linked to our evolution. And they're part of that million year old development of the limbic structures. And it's designed to shut off those prefrontal cortical areas because you're not supposed to think about those behaviors. You're supposed to do them because they're survival instincts. So really, addiction is a hijacking of very primitive circuits in the brain, and it shuts off those newer cortical circuits that are only a couple of hundred thousand years old. What would be the possible role of, say, parents for the younger, the younger people and for a loved one? What would be your advice be? If you notice that's, that. a, that's a tough one because, uh, you know, obviously, actually, here's, here's what we do know. Most cases where we see overuse of technology in adolescents and young adults, we're seeing it now with adults and parents. So modeling appropriate, healthy, sustainable tech use becomes critical if you want your child to develop it. So creating a family use plan or a family plan of how technology is going to be used in the home and where everybody puts their phones when they walk in the door. You know, like you take your shoes off and put them in a, you know, on the side, you take your phone off and leave it because if you have it with you, you're not going to be present. It's so true. So, I, I have to call myself out on that. Sometimes I'll see my kids on their iPads and my daughter on her phone, and I'll say, guys, can you put down your phone for a minute? And I'll look down and my phone's in my hand. Checking my email. <laughs> of course, of course. You're not any different. Than, I mean, we're, we all are guilty of doing that. It's become so common in our, in our culture. My whole thesis is you've got to create consciousness of your use. Otherwise, it will take over your behavior without your realizing it. 
Wow, that's obviously quite a bit uh, to think about. And I think that it's important to look at overuse versus going into the area of psychopathology. Where Absolutely. You, where, and I think a, a very easy way of distinguishing the two might be, is your life hampered by this, whether it's internet addiction, social, social media addiction, etc.? Yeah, because sometimes right. I think I yeah. use I do it too much, but right. then I think, well, how much harm is it really doing yeah. to play threes too much when I there's oh. so many worse things I could be doing? But yeah. you're right because yeah. it it stops you from being present, yeah. you know, with your family one, or your kids. There is there is one area where it becomes deadly that I need to mention in all good conscience. I've done several studies with AT and T where we looked at driving and uh, smartphone behavior, and 17% of people take tell, take selfies while they drive. 70 to 80% of people know that, uh, or rather, 90% know that driving and using the digital features on their phone is dangerous. 75% of us. All of us use the digital streaming features on our phone, meaning email, text, Google searches, everything. So if you use your phone compulsively or actively on land, there is a very good chance you will use it while you drive. And the number of deaths due to distracted driving um, has exceeded deaths due to alcohol. So when you see somebody swerving on the road now... It's just as likely that it's from their smartphone as it is from drinking. That is all the time that we have today. But I want to thank you so much, Dr. Dr. David Greenfield, author of Virtual Addiction. Where can we find your book? Anywhere? Anywhere books are sold? Uh, I, think it's on, I think it's on Amazon. I think it's only in digital right now because we're doing a new edition. But of course. Of course Kindle. it's in digital. <laughs> but they can the website um they there's a lot of information for the public on the website which is virtual-addiction.com and uh there's a lot of good information and videos and and you know public stuff about everything we've talked about well great thank you so much and thank you all for listening and don't forget to tune in next sunday at 5 p.m for an all-new episode of in your right mind and if you like what you hear you can download this edition of the show as a podcast on itunes or go to inyourrightmind.com to hear this show or previous broadcasts of In Your Right Mind. Thank you, Dr. Sharma. Well, thank you, Stephanie. It's been a great show. And, and thank you, Dr. Greenfield, very much for, oh, for your my contribution. Pleasure. My pleasure. And we to, will, our, to um, our listeners. Uh, see you next week. See you next week, and good night.